Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Wonderful Women of Golf. My name is Rick Wolfel. Kristen Leaps has a unique perspective on the turf industry. She's been the executive director of the Philadelphia Association of Golf Course Superintendents for going on 22 years now. She's also married to a superintendent. We're honored to have Kristen with us to share her thoughts on this edition of Wonderful Women of Golf. Kristen, welcome to Wonderful Women of Golf. We appreciate your taking the time from a very busy schedule to join us today. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Rick, for having me. It's a pleasure. You've been the executive director of the Philadelphia Association of Golf Course Superintendents for going on 22 years now, and you had executive experience before that, but what led you into this line of work? It's kind of a unique story. It is. Um, as a function of leaving managing retail stores and becoming a mom, uh, I needed to find something to do. And I just fell into a newsletter at my husband's golf course at the time. And then uh, coincidentally happened to be at one of the GCSAA conferences and show back then. And they were looking for a newsletter editor for the PAGCS. I was with my husband at a hospitality event. And so then I fell into that. And after doing that for a year, the executive director or secretary for the PAGCS was retiring. And they asked me to take over. So it, it it's perfectly fits my skill set. It just was, um, a, it was a transition, but it, it's... It's been wonderful. Wouldn't be here for 21 plus years if not. <laughs> How do you see your role as the executive director? You're not a superintendent yourself, although you have a lot of knowledge about the profession, obviously. But how do you see your role in serving your members? That's a weighted question. Um, I absolutely think that it's evolved over time. Initially, it was send out mailings and... Um, uh, track the database, uh, send out dues notices, do the newsletter, uh, very much secretarial. And as time went on, and knowing my skill set, that was, not, you know, I have more to bring to the table than that. And then also as superintendents became busier, um, families became more demanding, dual incomes became the standard, it became harder and harder for the board members and the superintendents and the members of the association as a whole to um, do the tasks that were required. And so uh, evolution became that it just became more of an executive director position, which I think when we redid our website in 2015, not, that was not the current website, but the previous one, the um, council became changed the title from executive secretary to executive director. And so that kind of was the progression. Speaking of progression and evolution, the profession of golf course superintendent has changed a lot in those 21 years. It has evolved. Their responsibilities are different now in a lot of ways. Uh, maybe responsibilities is the right word. Expectations might be the better word. So we will let you expound on that because so many superintendents now are in a situation where they're spending as much time on administrative functions as they are out in the field uh, with the grass and dirt side of the industry. So we'll have you talk about that for a bit. 
That's spot on. And um, some facilities and superintendents are fortunate enough to be able to pay someone to come in. I used to do it at North Hills Country Club for Jeff Edwards. I would go in five to 10 hours a week and just do some of the admin stuff that he either didn't want to do, didn't have time to do. But n most superintendents are not that fortunate. And it's, it, I, this is gonna get personal, but from a personal standpoint, I see my husband doing some of that work at home. And some of that work, you know, on, what should be off time. And I'm sure that's true of most superintendents, which is why it's really important to recognize that board members, they, they're volunteering their time. They're not here uh, getting paid. Um, they don't get a whole lot of recognition for what they do. And so the board members, God bless them, are, you know, doing a lot to run the association along with me and um, also trying to do their jobs and it's it's a shame but uh, it's also I think it's a positive in in some ways because there was a time um, I love listening to stories from Henry Wetzel who served on the board for 30 years uh, retired from St. David's the evolution of that and being being the superintendents now have more say more control more advocacy for their roles in this industry and as a function of that I think part of that has become that yes you have more control but with that comes the demands part of that also is educating the members about what superintendents do and that is an ongoing process to say the least but I get the impression that that side of the golf industry has become more aware of what superintendents do and the level of respect is increasing. I could be wrong, and it's not a universal at every club, but I think people are more cognizant of what all is involved in maintaining a golf course. It's not a case of the superintendent snaps his or her fingers and the green grass appears. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, it, yes, we've made a lot of progress. There is no doubt um, across the country um, and certainly here in, in Philadelphia, it's, we still have work to do. Um, there, there is still a lot of work to be done to communicate. I mean, I have friends that still, no matter what I say, they still don't get it. And they don't get it until they actually come with me to a golf course and ride along in a cart and see how things operate that they have any clue. I have running buddies that will get off the uh, Pennypack Creek Trail there and just hop on to Philmont or Huntington Valley like they belong there and just run through the golf course. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> there was a time not too many years ago, I can remember this, when high school cross-country championship meets used to be run on golf courses. Yikes. That's, I did not know that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, we've made a lot of progress. I, I, I can, in the 20 plus years that I've been doing this, the progress is through the roof and it is something obviously I am extremely passionate about. My counterparts across the country are very passionate about this and many of us are uh, somehow related to a superintendent. Take Maureen in New Jersey. She's the daughter of a superintendent. Uh, Tina Workman down in Georgia, uh, also married to a superintendent, and I think her son is going to become a superintendent, or already is, <laughs> might be forgetting that. But um, So a lot of us come to it with the passion first, 
and then the skill set is second. Or maybe it's, you know, a little of both, but uh, it, we, st we still have a lot of work to do. Um, personal example, my daughter wrote an article for um, her job and it was beautiful. I'll have to send it to you. Um, I did put it out on Twitter at one point, but uh, beautiful. But she does take a stab at the industry throughout at one point in the article and I was like, oh, ouch. <laughs> um, so I, I still think we have work to do, but that's, that's fine. Um, you know, you get passionate people and you get enough of us to uh, pull resources and talk, 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 talk. Uh, be willing to have open dialogue and listen to each other to, to kind of meet in the middle and find ways to collaborate and understand each other. That said, it is increasingly challenging to attract high school and college students into this profession. Uh, Delaware Valley University, not far from here, is a wonderful turf management program and uh, Dr. Lindy and his students uh, kind of set the tone here. You have Penn State out in the central part of the state and Rutgers across the river. Three wonderful turf programs, but there aren't as many students enrolled in those programs as there used to be, which brings us to the first green program, which I know is a passion of yours and it's a nationwide effort but um, particularly in this part of the country it's been successful you had a couple of first green programs last fall and we'll have you talk about that for a bit just a way of showing younger students what it's like to be outside on a golf course but also what opportunities might be open to them later on it's, I cannot say enough about First Green. And when I first got involved, um, it was as a function of Dan Mearsman at Philly Cricket was um, having his first one. And that was my first opportunity to see it. And I think that was 2015. Uh, I could be mistaken. But we were very fortunate that that event was, um, you know, Inside Golf covered it and um, it got some press and it went so well. And what he did, and we've then built on that, is the... Um, collaborative model as I call it where you're bringing in the PGA section the Golf Association of Philadelphia First Tee uh, Temple University the local watersheds any resource that you have where you're hosting them you can bring them in and it's it's wonderful whether it's Doc Lindy coming in or Dr. Mike from Penn State and you know they come in and they help and um, the First Tee has been a wonderful partnership not just for us going down and helping them maintain the golf course which um, it, that's a wholly separate thing it's when they come to us and they help us teach um, the students about the profession the industry because it, it's going to take us all being collaborative to make sure that this industry has the labor that it needs it's not just on golf courses in the maintenance department it's in the pro shops and um, the uh, clubhouses, uh, food and beverage, it's, it's, it's across the industry and um, it's using the first green as kind of a stepping point for all of that is huge and it's not just the students. Um, what I was blown away by and I'm blown away every time I'm at one of these is the parents and the chaperones and the teachers have no clue. 
that that the, this is even an option and they're just they're they're as blown away as their students are so if we can continue to build these relationships I think we're going to get a lot further along in the future of the labor the source of labor and uh, we did attempt an involvement with uh, junior achievement to to work on that and that was a targeting high school students and we had some some success with it but um, you know having uh, Tyler Bloom in this area um, working on um, apprenticeships apprenticeship programs at various of our facilities um, and I can get you a full list if you want but yeah Tyler started that uh, when he was still working down in the Baltimore area before he moved to Pennsylvania and he was was and he is extremely passionate about the, that entire effort yeah, he's, uh, he's been a great resource for us and for the superintendents who have worked with him. I know Paul Stedick Kennett has worked with him. I'm pretty sure the team at Waynesboro has worked with him. I, I might be mixing this up, but I'll get you a full list um, if you want. But he's, um, he's, he's really been very helpful. And between programs like the First Green, using that collaborative model where we are working with our counterpart associations um, in this area, as well as the universities, um, is is and the other environmental organizations that is huge and um i think i think we're making progress but and i think we'll get there but one of the things that has to change is is the money money has to change um if you you cannot bring in a quality assistant superintendent on some of these salaries that are being floated out there you know and that's an advocacy part that we all need to work on um you know if your biggest asset is your golf course you know you've got to put the money into it and I do think budgets are part of the problem but only a small part getting back to first green for just a moment you there were a couple last October one being in the Coatesville area and one being out uh, more toward the central part of the state uh, in Berks County and um, the opportunity for some of these students to get outside and just be around this swath of um, open field and green grass. Some of these students have never had the opportunity to experience that before, up close and personal. Very true. Uh, very, very true. Uh, Ledge Rock is the. Um, but he, Alan has been doing these um, for years. He's very good at it. He's. I, I think it's his um, Irish heritage that um, makes him just so laid back, and uh, he does. He's so good with the students, and and his team there at Ledge Rock, his pro is fantastic, and he, they just work as a team to make them happen. And he has all sorts of grades and sizes ages everything and um he has that wonderful bird box program that he's doing which kind of dovetails off the first screen and then coatesville i that the two at coatesville last fall and this spring were the two largest that um have probably i don't know if across the country but certainly the two largest i've ever seen they've been from 130 to 150 students at one time and that's a huge effort to put something together chris walton is very brave um so and it, it, the collaborative model is what enables that to happen and especially the coatesville students were the ones that i think were just you know blown it with simple things like the irrigation crew at uh, Coatesville came out and brought their iPads out and showed them how and their phones and showed them how they turn on and off the irrigation as part of the one of the tech labs they're just 
blown away by the things that go into a, maintain, a maintained space. Let's take this in a different direction. The demands on a superintendent's time and physical and emotional energy. It has been that way for eons and superintendents for a lot of years were expected to work 80 plus hour weeks, uh, seven day weeks, etc., etc. That's a huge demand on somebody's not just physical energy, but emotional energy. And I think in recent years, in part because of some of what uh, Golf Course Industry has published on the subject, people are taking that whole issue a lot more seriously and somebody is realizing or superintendents are, themselves are realizing I don't need to spend every waking hour here. There are ways to get things done or have enough people on hand that I don't have to do this and I think that's one of the biggest shifts in the industry since I've been writing about it. One of the efforts that I've seen at many of these facilities that are successful with that is that the head superintendent or head of grounds is also a mentor and puts a lot of faith, trust, and um, effort into training their staff. And that has reaped great rewards for many facilities and builds the future of the industry. And I think that's one of the tactics that has been successful. If you don't, if you don't enable your staff, then then that kind of you're you're stuck. And um, I do think that the mental health component and the um, the we all know this industry has somewhat of a higher divorce rate than some others. You know, the strength of the spouse. Um, most spouses, hopefully, when they walk in, they know what they're getting into from the get-go and uh, realize the demands, but also have to have the strength to put the foot down and, you know, say, you know, enough is enough. Um, and if you don't have a strong family network around you, you it, I think that hurts. And if you don't have a strong network of, of uh, superintendents and uh, vendors, affiliates around you, and that's, that's key right there. And that's why the PAGCS is so successful is because it is a brotherhood and sisterhood of members, families, um, that and, and industry-related people who really do work together to support each other and make every facility a success. Um, open space matters, um, managed turf matters, all of these things. Um, when we had to advocate with Governor Wolf to get golf, you know, at least maintenance back open in the state of Pennsylvania, it was that was a huge advocacy effort, and um, I think uh, very eye-opening for some other people. So um, you know, it, it's those networks. You know, whether it's your family, your spouse, um, your staff, or the whole industry, that's what makes it possible to kind of step away and say it's okay that I didn't go to my golf course today. But again, most of our superintendents and, and their counterparts, the affiliates, they're, they're all just so um, addicted to the industry, to the, the turf, to the passions that drive them to um, want to be in this industry. Um, I think it's also their, just their, their personalities. 
And I think, too, they have their their own expectations. But at the same time, this industry is so supportive. You get superintendents that are theoretically competing against each other or their clubs are competing for members or it's a daily fee facility competing for customers. But the superintendents still will work with each other, will share knowledge with each other, will share their secrets with each other. And you've always got, if you run into a problem or somebody you can call and say, how do I deal with this? And that's one of the most impressive things about this industry, that that kind of network, formal and informal, exist and is as strong as it is. It's it's wonderful. It's And, and in uh, certain cases, if you have... Um uh, like in this area, because it's so densely populated with facilities, we have um, we have some um, little sidebar groups that form. Um, and when a new superintendent, for example, comes in to one of these facilities here in this area, where you've got Lulu Manufacturers, North Hills, so many others, uh, when a new superintendent comes in, these these supers all welcome the new superintendent and um, welcome to the area. And they have you know separate text threads that are you know kind of in your area. How much rain did you get? Uh, how how's your turf today? You know, <laughs> simplifying, but um, and they they form these little networks within the broader uh, association and it's it's wonderful it's wonderful and it's I think we have to be very grateful that that's the type of industry that we're in it, there are very few industries that you can say that about um, and and we're just very fortunate somebody we both know would be upset with me if I didn't get to this but what's the secret for drawing more women into the profession there are some challenges that women face and just the practical applications of the job if they are raising families and whatever that maybe their male part, counterparts would not have to deal with, but only about 2% of the membership of the GCSAA is female. So what steps would you like to see taken or things happen that would bring more women into the profession? I think that we have a lot of work to do there, um, but the initiatives that um, Leisha has taken and um, Jennifer has, they have kind of taken a lead in that and started to form networks and hospitality events and uh, communication channels that are starting to spread the word. I do like to, when I'm at these first green programs, um, kind of see how the female attendees are looking at these events and looking at the the experience that they're having and you know I'm not trying to be preferential but I am trying to see like do do are they getting it um you know girls in STEM education ha- has been a problem and um for for years which is the the very first reason that I became passionate about first green wasn't actually building labor it was STEM education and exposing female students to STEM education. That first program I tried to do on my own was with a Girl Scout troop, and I'm still working on that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think that it's really important that we continue these efforts, but I think it's going to take a lot more than what we're doing now. And I, I don't want to put, I'm not targeting any particular. Uh, but you know, leadership has to come from the top, and I, you know, I don't know that enough is being done from the very top on down. 
because that trickles down. It's going to take a lot more leadership to advance this to the next level. It's a start. We got to start. What's been the most satisfying part of this journey for you over the last 21 and a half years? Oh my goodness. Uh, there's so much. Um, you know, I, some of my best friends are coming out of this. Some of, you know, people I'm very close with, uh, male and female. Um, you know, just the, the, and I mean, yes, the, the camaraderie and all of that, but also feeling like I'm helping. I'm helping people who I care about, um, you know, came into it, you know, as the spouse, but, um, you know, became, and was also friends with other supers through my spouse. But then, you know, uh, kind of, I feel as if I'm making a difference and we're making a difference. It's, it's kind of a, a, a joint effort and um, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. There are some days that, you know, and I, my members will even say, I bet you just rolled your eyes at me behind my back. Um, you know, there are times that I, I do want to, uh, you know, throw the towel in, but uh, for the most part, they are few and far between, and every job comes with that. Every, everything you do comes with a, a challenging moment every once in a while. Um, but it's also, you know, a balance. Um, it's being able to balance family and career and uh, to use almost all of my skill set. Um, the only challenge I have is bookkeeping. I, I never had to do any bookkeeping. So over the years, I've had to build that skill set. But pretty much everything else was already there. Kristen, we thank you for spending time with us. And uh, it's a pleasure always working with your membership who have taught me a lot of things about uh, this profession and uh, working with folks in the industry at large. Thanks very much. Thank you, Rick. It's been a real... <laughs> I, I learned a lot, I think. <laughs> Kristen Leaves, our guest on this edition of Wonderful Women of Golf. My name is Rick Wolfel. We thank you for joining us and invite you to join us next time.